all right, we are going to try and stay awake, right? Go ahead. If you need to stand up, stretch, whatever, go for it. I know this rain and the cool weather has got us all drowsy and everything, but uh, wanted to stick with the ideal of reconciliation because of Romans uh, 3. Uh, I didn't want to abandon that, and as Joey had talked about, I think it was last week, how it's, he really wishes he could just go back and talk about uh, all of Romans 1 and 2 again to really understand what reconciliation was, so I thought I would try and give you a very basic uh, understanding but beautiful, glorious uh, explanation of what uh, it means to be reconciled uh, to God. Because here's the state we find ourselves in. We're in sin. We are sinful by nature. Every part of our hearts is evil. We are nothing. Uh, we have nothing to offer God. In our own self, we have nothing. We can't even go before God because God's too holy to dwell or even have sinners in His presence. So we can't go to Him. So God has provided a way for us to come to Him. And there's only one way. Okay, There's no other way. There's no way for man to make their own peace with God. It's either God's way or no way. It's either you come through the blood of Christ or you'll not enter into His presence. We may think that we can go through all the rituals of the church or whatever you've thought you've done to make peace with God, but you're going to come before Him as a sinner and He's going to look at you and say, I never knew you. Depart from me. There's only one way to be reconciled to God, and that is through the blood of Christ. So let's look at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. My first point I want to make is that it's, the love of Christ that controls us. Those believers that are in Christ, it is now the love of Christ that controls us. It's no longer our own doings. It's no longer our own powers, but it's the love of Christ. And we all know uh, what the love of Christ looks like. He died and rose for us. And verse 15 explains that. And He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. The love of Christ on your behalf, He went to the cross. It was to benefit you. And it is to, in turn, as we'll see at the end of these verses, it is to benefit even God, because it is for His glory. But the love of Christ, we look at it, and it is that He died. Well, if we are in Christ, we also have died. We died to our old selves. It's no longer us living for us. We are to live for Christ. 
so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. This is kind of the point I got to in my high school career, about 16, 17, 18. I just really got tired of living for Cody. Like it was just too much. Um, playing all the sports, trying to keep up the decent grades, all that type of stuff. It just got really bogged down with a lot of stuff. I can only imagine if I had not come to that point in high school, now with all the other responsibilities that I tried to live up to and try to raise myself up and put myself up on the highest pedestal for the glory of Cody, it would almost be too much to live for. But in high school, I finally just said, this is too much. I don't want to do this. And really submitted, I feel like I submitted my life to Christ at that point. I said, okay, yes, I don't want to live for Cody anymore. I don't want to do what Cody wants to do because Cody realizes he screws up more than he gets it right. So I finally just like, it's, I don't want any part of it being me anymore. Let it be Christ. Let it be for the glory of God. And that's a very relieving point to get to. And if you're in Christ, you should be there now. It's not about us. It's not about how we can rise to the, the pinnacle of our success or to the, the highest position at our jobs or whatever it is. It should all be for the glory of God. What can I do for Christ? What can I do for the kingdom of God? And for those that are in Christ, that is what we are to do because Christ died so that you no longer live for yourself. Well, if we're no longer living for ourselves, we're living for Christ. And why would we do that? Well, it's because of the love of Christ. He went to the cross on our behalf. I've said this for a long time. If He died for me, the least I can do is live for Him. If God would send His own Son to a cross, and yes, as much as the cross is brutal and ugly, I can just only imagine, I can barely imagine Christ hanging on the cross and saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus and God have been together since eternity past. God made man in their image, in our image. God and Jesus have been together for all eternity. And hanging on that cross when our sins were paid for, when He became sin and God the Father had to turn away from Him because He couldn't even look at it, the least we can do is live for Him. So He died so that we have died to our old selves, and He rose so that we don't have to live for ourselves. We can live for Him. We have confidence in the fact that Jesus was who He said He was. We have confidence that the Word of God is exactly true and that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He paid for our sins on that cross, and He rose again. If we don't have the resurrection, we don't have a lot of hope. If our God was still in a tomb somewhere, His bones were in a tomb somewhere, we would be just as bad off as all the other gods that have their gods in a tomb somewhere. But by God raising Him from the dead, we know 
we have that confidence, we have that assurance that He was who He says He is, and now we can live for Him. Verse 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize that no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, there's a lot of uh, each, almost each, uh, phrase in these passages you could spend months on studying. But notice here that it is for the life of Christ. That is what we live for now. Now, this is Paul talking about, yeah, we did know Christ in the flesh. We knew Him, but now we live in such more, we know Him so much more than Him being in the flesh. Think about Paul. Paul knew Christ was in the flesh because he knew all of his followers. Paul was hunting down the followers of Christ and putting them in prison. Paul stood at the crucifixion of Stephen. Or the murder, not the crucifixion, but the stoning of Stephen. The murder of Stephen. Paul knew of Jesus in the flesh. Paul knew of his followers. But now he says... We knew Him that way, but now we know Him so much more. We know Him now in the fact that it's because of Him that we are a new creature. We don't know just the flesh part of the side of things. We don't know this just mortal body. If you go back in the first part of chapter 5, if you have the subtitles there, it says the temporal and the eternal. And it goes back to talking about this earthly tent, how we are just mortal bodies. But here he says, now we are a new creature. The old way is done away with. The living for ourselves is done away with. Because Christ, living, dying, being resurrected, now that we are in Him, we are completely new creatures. We're not the old way that we've always known. And once again, because He's died and rose, we live in Christ, which is a totally new creature, one that we really struggle with throughout this whole life, throughout this life here on earth, because we're still doing battle with the old creature. We're still doing battle with sin and the flesh. But we are this new creature. And we should be struggling with the old, the old self. Once we come to be in Christ, we should be doing battle with the old self. If we're not struggling with the old way of life, then we need to check whether we are a new creature. Because if we are a new creature, the old and the new should be like oil and water. They shouldn't mix. Okay, we're a completely new creature. Everything is anew for those that are in Christ. Completely anew. We are a totally different people. And you say, well, how are we anew? Well, we have to keep reading. Verse 18 says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you'll skip to the last part of verse 19, it says, And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, how did we do that? If you go back to verse 19, the first part, it says, Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So God has now, for those that are in Christ, we were sinners. We could not come into the presence of God. If you are without Christ, if you are not in Christ, if you are not the new creation that Christ makes you, you cannot come into a relationship with God. You cannot even come into His presence. But God, through Christ, has made a way. And it is a reconciling way to where you're, you were cut off because of your sin. Now you can come to Him because of Christ. And how does He do that? Well, He does that through the process here we see of justification. It's the fancy word that we like to use in church, but what does it mean? Justification, look at it like this. It is just, it's literally a, a basically a judicial transaction where God says, I'm no longer going to count your sins. That's it. That process is done in heaven. It has nothing to do with you. It's because of Christ in you. Nothing to do with you. Because Christ did what it took to forgive you of your sins. If you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve sin. They try and cover themselves because now they know something's different. We're now not in the, shouldn't be in the presence of God in the same state we're in. So they went and made big leaves and cut, tried covering themselves. But God said, that's, that's not enough. That's not enough. And he had to make garments of skin. So something had to die because of sin. And that's the way it's always been. Since the garden, there has to, do, there has to be death. So for those that say, well, I, I made peace with God, the only peace you make with God is if death happens. And you can't die for your sins because you are not sinless. You deserve death. So if you die in your sin, you're going to receive the wrath of God. And that's how the wrath of God is satisfied. You get what you deserve. You deserve His wrath if you die in your own sin. But God says, no, I'm going to make a way that they don't die in their sin. I'm going to have their sins placed on my son so that when they die and they come before me, I don't see their sins. They're forgiven because of what my son has done. So when it says not counting their trespasses against them, that's God saying, okay, you're in the clear now. You're good. And that's great. That is a glorious thing that we can go before God and God say, I see Christ. I don't see your sins. I don't see Cody's sins. We're good. That's a great and glorious thing. Justification is a great thing. But that's not where he leaves it. Notice at the end of verse 19, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
Now, reconciliation is different than justification. For means of illustration, think of it like this. We've sinned against somebody. Let's say, if this was possible, I've sinned against a judge. And the judge comes up, I go before the judge, and the judge says, it's fine, Cody, I forgive you, we're not going to hold any of this against you, sins are forgiven, you're good. I walk away happy, right? That's a great thing. I'm not going to jail, I'm not having to do community service, pay anything, everything's good. That's justification. That's the judge saying, I'm not counting it against you. But God takes it a step further. Not only does he say, I'm not going to count it against you, but it'd be like that judge saying, hey, Cody, I forgive you, and I want to have your family over for supper tonight. That's just weird. Why would he do that? I've sinned against him. He doesn't owe me anything. But God not only says, hey, what my son did covers your sin, but it also allows you to have a relationship with me. Now, because of, since your sin kept you away from me, now that that is forgiven, now we can have a relationship. Now, you, you've got to be a little bit off if you think if you have a relationship with God the Creator and you can live the exact same life as before, something's up. There's nobody that has come into a relationship with God Almighty and remained the exact same as they did before. It can't happen. You're now justified of your sins, and God now has entered into a relationship with you. And once again, look at this. You've not done anything in this. And I know going through Romans, it's like, yeah, we get this. But it's never a good idea to, to skip over that part. And this whole justification, this whole reconciliation part, you've not done anything. You're just simply the criminal. You're the sinner in this whole thing. And the judge, God Almighty, says, hey, I'm going to provide a way. Because of what my son has done for you, you're forgiven. And because what my son has done for you, now we can be friends. We can commune with each other. We can have a relationship with each other. Why, oh why, would God Almighty do that? Once again, you're a new creation. And in that, you have responsibility. Look at verse 20. Therefore, because of all this, because God has committed to us the word of reconciliation, because God has justified us, brought us into a right relationship with Him, now there's some responsibility in that for you. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we do. We're no longer beggars for forgiveness. We're beggars for others to be reconciled with God. We now know what He's done for us, and we want everybody else to be in that same relationship with God Almighty.
So we've become ambassadors for Christ. And in a sense, that means that we have, as we know in many of the other scriptures, we have the same inheritance as Christ. We have the same authority that Christ had from God to communicate His love towards us. We now are in the same position to communicate God's love towards us through Christ. We have that authority through Christ. And that's what we are to do. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We don't beg on our own behalf. Yeah, we would benefit probably from our friends and families coming to know Christ, but it's not on us that we beg. It's on behalf of Christ. Because Christ is the only way by which reconciliation to God can be made. And look at what, Christ, or what God done through Christ. He says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. The very thing that absolutely disgusts God Almighty about us, the very thing that God pours His wrath out on people, He makes Christ into the very one that didn't deserve any of it, he turns and makes him sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So now that God looks at Cody and says, this is a sinner, he's in fully deserving of my wrath, but because of Christ, I poured my wrath on his sin, on my son. Now Cody gets the righteousness of God because of my son. So because Christ goes to the cross, it's all the sin poured on him. Now God looks at us and we get the righteousness of God. We're made right with God because of that. I completely understand why to the world this sounds completely foolish. Because this is not the way the world works. You don't get things for free. People don't go to this extent of love for people. Especially people they don't know. Especially against people that have wronged you. You're not going to go to this extent of love for those people. Don't work like that. But it should for those that are in Christ. Because we know what God has done for us. We're now ambassadors of Christ. And we are in the, the ministry of reconciliation. We are to proclaim the goodness of Christ and the reconciliation that God has through Him. We should go to the same extent of love for those people. Because if you remember back in verse 14... It was for the love of Christ controls us. Knowing the love of Christ, that He would accept the wrath of God on Him. He's been in this perfect state with, Christ, or with God. His entire being has been with God. And He says, for these people, these sinful people, 
I'll take your wrath. I'll take their sin upon myself. God, you pour out your wrath on me so that I can give them your righteousness, so that we can be in a relationship with them. It's because of that love that we go to our neighbors. It's because of that love that we go to our coworkers. And we say, listen, you've got to have Christ. There's no other way. I know what you want to say that you've believed and what your grandparents have taught you, but the Word of God says it's only through Christ. And that's how you know that people love you. Okay? It's when they come up and tell you, listen, I see that you're in this sin, but look at what Christ has done for you. I see you're struggling with this. Look at what Christ has done for you. You say, well, that's not very loving somebody to call you out on your sin. It is, because that is how you are reconciled back to God. It is through the forgiveness of sin through Christ. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Christ. Look at Him in the garden. He cries out to God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Let the wrath of God not be poured out on me. But Christ also says, but if there's not any other way, then your will be done. So when we go to these family members or friends, and we say, this is going to be really tough and really hard, it's got to be done. Christ didn't say it was going to be easy. God didn't say this life was going to be easy. But we are called to a ministry of reconciliation and to beg people to trust in Jesus Christ. And it's all for the glory of God so that we can have the righteousness of God and be in His presence. Let's pray.